convince a prominent psychologist, tragedy forced Dr. Xander Crow down the dark pathways of the occult, and he was transformed. Now, chasing the vision of a dead woman, Dr. Crow finds himself in the haunted town of Wormwood, where evil lurks in the shadows and stains the souls of its inhabitants. Welcome to Wormwood. Hello and welcome back to Postmortem, a special edition podcast of Wormwood, a serialized mystery. I am David Acampo, and tonight I have with me a special guest, my co-creator on this whole venture, Jeremy Rogers. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> Jeremy, glad you could join us for our little postmortem session here. Looking forward to it, yeah. Some good questions tonight. Yeah, we got a lot of good questions. Uh, this is our listener mail show, and this is where we put out the call to you and you answered. You wrote us some very thoughtful questions, really good stuff, um, and we're going to dive right into the mailbag and um, and 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 show you some, share some of the questions with you. We're going to read these in the order in which they were received, and that means we're diving into the deep end first with a question that came from Alexa Chipman. Alexa has been a, a fan of the show, uh, posted in the forums, and um, she's really looking forward to season two. I know she said as much. She's also a really big Sparrow fan, and that pertains to her question which is, I would like to know how the Sparrow rape storyline began. That was extremely powerful to me, especially being a virgin myself. So with this question, I'm going to turn the whole thing over to Jeremy, and he will tell you exactly how that happened. All right. Um, Basically, it sprung from an idea, uh, a line of dialogue in the first episode where Xander was trying to escape the mob goons and was calling on Sparrow to help get him out of his apartment. When he found out that Sparrow couldn't, come there to save him because she had that thing that day. They both seemed to understand that it was something personal and accepted that, and then we moved on. He made his escape, and everything was everything was fine and pretty much untouched for a while. But the episodes played out, and we started to, to develop this relationship with Xander and Sparrow. And it's a really sort of odd relationship. It's I mean, he's, he's very belligerent, and she's very intolerant, but yet they're still very much connected. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe when we you first initially put that thought in there of that thing, it was because we didn't want Sparrow to just be a disembodied voice with no life of her own. We wanted to give her some kind of um, activity, something that um, that sug- that hinted at uh, something deeper that we weren't seeing. Is, oh yeah, is that fair to say? Absolutely. And you know, there's there's of course that thing where you know somebody's assistant generally has some sort of you know backstory, some sort of connection that makes them indebted to the one that they serve or, or help out in some way. And mm-hmm. I don't I don't want to go the traditional route and, and have it be something that Xander swooped in and, and, and saved her and she, and she felt completely indebted. I wanted to be a little more um, twisted than that. And so it's, that would take us to episode 21, was it? Where you actually go into this backstory and um, and you kind of uh, uh, delve into what w- at least part of this past could be, right? Exactly. exactly. I, I, I thought it was interesting to, to play with the idea that it, it was Xander's own fault that, that, that caused this thing to happen to, to Sparrow. That's clearly been causing problems with her f- for years. Um, but even though it was his fault, he came in and he, he did what he could to save her, and it, it might have been exactly what she needed to be saved, but she was still left changed because of because of his mistake and was there anything particular that um 
that with that particular situation that she found herself in, the was it the Tolland man? Was that the? It was. It was the case of the the noose of the Tolland man. Yeah. Yes. And was there anything in particular that that lent itself to, you know, rape or or something like that? Uh, there were there were a couple of seeds of ideas. The the um, the Tallinn man basically was um, a sacrifice to the gods of fertility, so that automatically kind of led me towards you know that that act. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. there is there is one 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 inkling of an idea I was thinking of of for the rape and more more importantly for the um, offspring that that quickly seems to grow in her. But I can't really detail too much of that yet because there is a season two. <laughs> coming up and it's not going it's not going to be completely and i want to add to that that um while that is one hint of the past between sparrow and crow there is much more to come and you will see hints of that in season two particularly in episode seven so wait for they've that got, one <laughs> they've got this great relationship it, it's got shades of darkness it's got shades of yeah you know s- some pretty good almost adventure stuff i would say but it's it's a very intricate relationship those two have and hopefully it's coming across in just their banter back and forth which seems to be something that people are really responding to already oh yeah yeah we get lots of emails i would say sparrow is uh, absolutely one of the breakout characters of season one so you, you would definitely hear more about what happens to sparrow in season two okay so moving on the next questions that we have are from paul montgomery paul montgomery is of the fuzzy typewriter podcast i want to mention that because he has been a big supporter of the show he is a friend and um i am also co-hosting on his fuzzy typewriter podcast in the last uh, four episodes so um i just want to plug that real quick and say if you want a little more of this go there but anyway paul wrote us some great questions uh i'm going to well let's tackle each one at a time the first question is have you ever attempted a story on the show only to abandon it because it wasn't suited to for an audio-only format? Now, I, I think we actually posed this question in our writer's roundtable. We probably stole that from Paul uh, when I was looking for questions to ask. Um, so I think we kind of answered it. I believe that all the writers, and Jeremy, correct me if I'm wrong here, we kind of said not really, that we would just find ways to work around it. Um, there were probably moments within my thought process where I had an idea for a specific plot point or visual sequence or something that I quickly threw out because, you know, I didn't, because uh, I, I knew I didn't have the uh, the ability to tell that with audio. But for the most part, it was always just casting out one way to tell it and then casting around for a different way to tell it what I needed. So um, so that's that's from my end. I don't know if you have anything you want to add. Yeah, yeah. I mean, really, it's, you know, sometimes it can be a little tricky to to find a way to keep the story dynamic and, and moving with only audio. But I can't think of any story beat that we've completely decided on not using because it, w- it would be difficult. I mean, we'll find a way. Um, honestly, though, also by this point in, in writing as much as we have been so far, it's we kind of know, I think, what we can we can try to push and what we can try to experiment with a little bit more so than what we did in the beginning it's definitely a learning experience it is but i mean you you start to get into the groove of writing an audio and yeah i i can't think of anything that we haven't been able to try okay except, except for question. that ballet episode that you wanted to do <laughs> the all ballet episode <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> okay, moving on. His next question is, what is your favorite episode from season one? I think we also touched on this in each of our roundtable discussions, but let's tackle this one specifically between you and I. Uh, what is your favorite episode? Do you have a favorite episode? Um, I've got a couple of favorite episodes. I, um, I, I think I've mentioned it before. I really like the way episodes seven and eight work together, and particularly together. Mm-hmm. Um, that that being when um, uh, Emily is, is finally killed, and then Crow hitting the scene and, and realizing that his his reason for being in, in town has been justified. Uh, I really like those two. Um, I like episode. Um, I think it's episode sixteen. Is it sixteen? Yes, That's, uh, necromancy and the art of making friends. The, the necromancy, yes, yeah, it's, one of the best show titles we've ever had, uh, and that is also one of my favorite episodes. I'll, 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 I'll jump in and add to that my voice to that one. That one kind of has a little bit of everything. It's manic, it's crazy, it has necromancy, it has drama, it has comedy. It's sort of, it's sort of everything that we wanted to get into the show wrapped up in one episode. I was just going to add that I'm also really partial to episode 24, just because it was really. It really encapsulated everything I wanted to capture in the mystery over season one. I, 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 I was, I'm proud of that one because I think we were able to make a satisfying conclusion to the season that answered questions while leaving some doors open and, and in fact, opening some doors for, us for the second season. So I, I'm pretty proud of the way that turned out. It sort of encapsulates the entire season for me. Yeah. And, you know, I, I don't know about you, but I, I was a little little nervous about doing that finale because, you know, the whole mystery structure of the show, you know, how it tends to go with a lot of TV shows and so on, you know, they don't always live up to the tension that, that you build throughout the entire season. But, yeah, I think I think that one turned out pretty well. I want to go back, though. I, episode 23, I'm also pretty fond of. It just That one's a little different. That one has a different voice, a different, uh, not voice, different tone than the other ones. It's very pulpy and sort of segmented a little bit more. Yeah, I know you had a lot of fun with that one. It was a lot of fun with, I mean, the the, the pulpy Hank backstory and the the very out there opening, or uh, uh, the very out there awareness of Drexel's (laughs) true story. And you mix all That's that. True. You mix all that together, and also with with you know some some serious sides to, to Jimmy details. That one just it was so strange. It just it, it all felt <laughs> odd, and it felt odd in a good way too. Twenty three and twenty four, I think, kind of make up uh, the season finale. And um, and yeah, it, we really kind of got all the beats that we wanted to in there. You've got, you know, Jimmy Details gets serious. Uh, uh, Hank gets pulpy, you know, <laughs> uh, and, uh, and 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 Wayne becomes an actual character in there and just a, kind of a crazy character. Um, so, yeah, I mean, obviously you can tell from our conversation that we have a lot of favorites and probably it breaks down more into favorite uh, moments than episodes. But um, the question was episodes. So that's as close as we can get, Paul. Um, the next question he asks is, what kind of research went into these episodes? Were certain elements of the show based on supernatural occurrences you've read about over the years? Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start with this one. I'm going to say a couple things. Um, the Muddy Man was not necessarily based on a supernatural occurrence, um, but in the original series Bible, here's a little tidbit for you. I referred to him as Mr. X, 
and uh, he was just a shadowy figure. And that, I believe, is something that got stuck in my brain ever since the remake of Amazing Stories in the 80s. This, I think Spielberg <laughs> did that one. And he had an episode called The Shadow Man, mm. in which there was a kid who had a shadow man that lived under his bed. I remember that one. And I remember a scene in a playground, like on a swing, where he's talking to the shadow man. And I think the idea of this completely black figure, this dark shape uh, uh, in an overcoat and a hat, just, you know, like lurking around in the dark is, is, has always been a fascinating image for me. And um, the, the Muddy Man was built on that. Now, Jeremy added the name Muddy Man and the nursery rhyme, and that added a much more um, a folksy kind of uh, charm. Uh, you know, it felt more like urban folklore, or I guess rural for folklore, um, which I thought was much more suited to the small town. So, so, um, so he definitely added to that, and it kind of changed how I saw the Muddy Man and how we uh, went forward with the Muddy Man. But that was one um, uh, uh, one image that the initial seed of that was based on. So I don't know, uh, Jeremy. Do you want to have? Did you have any other uh, elements of supernatural occurrences? Well, sticking to the Muddy Man for a minute, just out of curiosity. Um, Back to that nursery rhyme that <clears throat> I think uh, hit in episode one. There, the last line was, and the muddy man will snip you. And I never really thought that through too much. And we never had him. I mean, the, the muddy man shows up and he just rips you limb from limb. And there's really no no snipping in, involved. And I'm not sure what episode it was, but somewhere down the line towards towards the end, I, I tried to address that. And I, I don't think anybody caught it. I don't think anybody probably even cared. But... There was, um, um, I think it was Katrina Edison, she's talking to Phineas, it's, it's the episode where Phineas is finally introduced, and I think he asks her if if anything, any rock, twigs, or whatever, swirling in the mud, snipped her, and it was really weak, <laughs> I thought, I, I thought it was really, really lame, but I, I just had to work it in there, because it felt like a flaw, because that, that rhyme came out before we'd really developed what we're going to do with the character, and, and eventually he took on a life of his own completely. Did the did the nature of the money man come from anything, or did it, you just play off of what I had written in the Bible and uh, and, and just kind of ran with it? I think I think I was playing off of just the original idea, and you know we, we were having so much rain and, and so much storm. You know, the coming storm was the first episode that I think just the idea of, of something lurking, something shadowy, and then rain and mud and just all that sound, it just seemed kind of naturally to fall into place. It definitely plays well to the audio format. Where the um, name came from, uh, I have no idea. <laughs> it probably one of those things. It probably originated from some banter back and forth in the forum. Probably, yeah. It could very well be. I, I just remember that in the original series Bible, I had written the name Mr. Mr. X. X, yeah. M- more just as sort of an unknown you know, quantity than anything else. Yeah. Um, I will also add an answer to this question that while a lot of the um, elements were, are fairly typical, we have ghosts, we have vampires, things like that. So that's not – so I mean I guess that's supernatural occurrences we read about over the years but only in the broadest pop cultural sense – um, we like horror movies, so that comes up all the time. I will say that it was important to me in getting into the occult aspect of it that there be some research involved. So to answer the research question, um, it didn't. I didn't do. I didn't come up with the ideas by doing research. I researched and found the things that fit, and I plugged them in as they fit. Uh, in particular, uh, the uh, the summoning ritual is actually uh, sort of a bastardized version of something that I read about in looking up uh, grimoires and uh, uh, the the 
key, Lesser Key of Solomon and things like that online. I would actually read the text. I would read about John D and uh, um, uh, speaking with the Archangel Uriel and things like that. And I would kind of pull all that stuff together. And um, uh, in fact, the Hand of Glory is also something that I read about. And, and, and that actually was something I had read about before and kind of figured out a way when I wanted to give Xander Crow a flaw, kind of suggested that and kind of came up with a story for it. Uh, it is a derivation of the actual Hand of Glory story, and I think we've got a question about that coming up, so I won't go too far into it here. But uh, the idea of attaching it to Xander Crow's arm was something unique, but the idea was something I had known about and had seen over the years. Um so there you go. I don't know, Jeremy, do you have anything else to add to that, or does that pretty much cover it? Let's see, any research on... on Well, the Tolland Man, that was research. Again, that was sort of played kind of how what you just described, where I, I, I wanted to do something in particular, and I just did some um, just did some searches and, and found this um, sacrifice to the gods of fertility, which worked to what I was kind of going towards. So, um, honestly, that wasn't anything I was familiar with before. I mean, I, I'd seen the pictures of the bog people, um, mm-hmm. but I never really read too much about it. So, that came just to kind of fit in with what I, mm-hmm. I needed to get to. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I think the, re- the real answer is, is that it's kind of a mix. It's, it's, in some cases, it's research to f- looking for something to fit into the story we want to tell. In other cases, it was pre-existing knowledge, whether whether it was something we had run across in a previous story or whether it was just sort of a broad uh, pop cultural knowledge of things like vampires or ghosts. Um, you know, so I think it, it's a mix of, of those, uh, of both of those elements. Uh, okay, so that's those are the questions from Paul. Um, okay, next question comes from Shannon Wurtzberger. She writes in, Hi guys, I have a question for you. Arthur Russell has a great sardonic voice for Xander Crow, and it's such a dead-on Rex Harrison. I love it. Did he base any of the voice work on Rex Harrison's performances, or is it purely coincidence? Or am I wrong, and does he sound nothing like Rex Harrison? Thanks. So, for this question... We went straight to the source. Um, as usual, uh, Arthur Russell does not answer our calls until we uh, send him a care package of gin and Oreo cookies. Once we do that, we get a voicemail that sounds something like this. Dear Sharon, I am in receipt of your letter dated blah, blah. This is Dr. Vander Crow. For your edification, young lady, I have never in my life been sardonic. Everything I do or say is completely and without question truthful. With respect to your other very perceptive observation that my voice is a dead-on Rex Harrison, you are entirely right. I am, in fact, a dead Rex. Harrison, the reincarnation of that same form. Yours sardonically, Dr. Xander Crow. So, Jeremy, I have to admit, uh, you know, Arthur Russell, he's really committed to that role as Dr. Xander Crow, even refuses to acknowledge that it is him leaving the voicemail. Yeah, yeah, he's... (laughs) You know, I, I think it was a great discovery, you know, for you to bring him in that first recording session. Uh, now, I, w- I was freaking out because we didn't have a lead at the time. Wait, 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 wait. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, I didn't actually bring him in. You were the one that, that found him and hired him. 
You told me. I thought. I swear, you told me that you had the perfect guy. No, this guy just he he storms in. I mean, we're we're trying to record around the lead. Cause I didn't hire him. And well, who sent him the scripts? Because he had all the lines. Uh. All right, Shannon. Well, this is going to, um, you know, t- take a little further uh, investigation. But um, uh, you know, you have your answer directly from Mr. Arthur Russell, or is it Dr. Xander Crow? Okay. The next question comes from Dave Fernandez. He uh, says he just stumbled across Wormwood thanks to the currently listening section on Scott Sigler's website. He and he is curious if the theme music is available for purchase anywhere. Now we get that's not the first question we've had about the theme music. People seem to really like the theme music, uh, which was composed by Todd Hodges. We should mention that. And um, uh, the the answer here, well, the I think short we should answer, announce it now. Honestly, that we have the PayPal account online, and for donations of five hundred dollars, we will send an MP3 file of the theme music to anyone. Um, Jeremy is kidding. We we don't have the PayPal up on the site, but if we did, we would do that for five hundred dollars. We'll, we'll get it. <laughs> We'd up even on the site. hand deliver it. <laughs> I think I could get Todd to come and perform it for you in person. <laughs> um, yeah. So the 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 short answer is that it is not available at this moment, but it is something we have talked to Todd about, and it's just something that we have not had the time to uh, deal with. <laughs> We're busy bringing this show to you guys, and uh, we, you know, we we just haven't had the chance to set anything up where you guys could uh, could download, uh, purchase and download the music. Um, if we get more requests like this, if you want this music on a CD in an MP3 download, please email us. Let us know. The more reminders we get, the quicker this is going to happen. Okay, uh, so that's that question. Thanks, Dave, for writing in. Okay, our next question comes from Shale Hawkins. Shale writes in and uh, also tells us the pronunciate the correct pronunciation, Shale, which is a very cool Kryptonian name. I just want to mention that. Um, but um, Shale writes the following questions: How much of the characters' personalities were developed after the voice talent was cast based on the voice talent? And secondly, are there any plans to release either as a podcast or as a fiction on the website other adventures of Alexander Crow? And third, will there be more fallout because of Dr. Crow's failure to protect Sparrow from either the mob or the results of the demon assault Sparrow spoke of in the flashback? Uh, let's let's tackle these one by one. The characters' personalities. We kind of touched on this in our roundtable discussions. Um, the truth is, it varied in levels. Um, one thing that happens as writers is that we begin to trust more in the actors and what they can handle. Um, so... I think Crow probably went on longer rants once we saw what Arthur Russell was capable of. It became kind of fun to, to write something challenging, something very twisting and difficult to get across, just to just to watch him do it because you know he can mm-hmm. get through it. And mm-hmm. so that's definitely something I you know I'm sure a lot of us think about when we write his stuff. You know, how can we really put him to the test? And he he, he comes through every time. Yeah, exactly. And I and I mentioned. Um, uh, that uh, Dave Johnston, who plays Wayne Drexel, um, you know, Wayne Drexel was started off as a one-note uh, kind of joke, but because we love Dave's take on the character so much, he sort of slowly evolved into a larger character. Um, I think for, for the most part, the characters became much easier to write when we could imagine the character, when we could imagine the actors voicing the lines. So for me, it just, it didn't really change a lot in some of the characters aside from you know those little tidbits that we mentioned but um but we kind of like uh, heard what our we could start to hear what the actors would be 
best at, how they could del- what would be the most effective delivery. And so that changed the way, at least for me, that's the way that changed the way I wrote dialogue. Sure, sure. And you start to see what actors have the certain chemistry together, and you, you can pair them off a little bit more so knowing how they're going to do their lines with one another. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and uh, also I just want to mention that I think both Tiffany and Jeremiah mentioned that um, that uh, Scott Olenek, who plays Jacob, sounded a bit different than they imagined. So I think that shaped the way they wrote his character as we went along. Um, so that's speaking for them, but they're not here tonight. You know, so. I, I don't <laughs> – one character that the voice delivery was completely different than what I'd ever expected from the page was um, Cedric, Cedric Bloomington. I, okay. I, I never – pictured that sort of voice for him and i think it was jeremiah that that wrote him first is completely out of left field for me and you can't think to sit down and write him now without thinking that voice yeah yeah so i mean it, it's it's a great voice and and it surprised me but it, it it works and now now i do keep that in mind i also want to add that um lamora haskell's character uh voiced by cheyenne besides she uh you know it, Jeremy wrote Lamora as sort of a one-episode character, and I, I liked the character a lot. Uh, and I said, you know, this is this is a character we have some potential with. Uh, but it, I think it wasn't until uh, Cheyenne uh, gave us the voice, this phenomenal voice for Lamora, that that everyone else really saw the potential as well. So that's one that was uh, you know a little bit of a surprise, but that really that really helped the character gel. Um, okay, so let's see. The second question that Shale asked was, are there any plans to release either as podcast or as fiction on the website Other Adventures of Alexander Crow? Um, well, if you're on the website now, you will note uh, the website is wormwoodshow.com. Um, there are already a couple of adventures of Xander Crow in the past. Um, there are stories. We have talked about various formats in which to tell past stories. Uh, will it be a podcast? Will it be fiction? I don't know. I, I We haven't really determined that yet. We do know some of these stories. I suspect that over the year you'll find more fiction come up on the site uh, as little teasers in the past and maybe something in a different medium as well. So we'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, in the third question, Shale says, will there be more fallout because of Dr. Crow's failure to protect Sparrow from either the mob or the results of the demon assault Sparrow spoke of in the flashback? Well, for that one, I think we're just going to have to defer to a little something called Season 2. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a fair answer for that, Jeremy? It's a pretty good answer, but just rest assured that you can't ever make things too calm and complacent because you're going to lose a certain element. So there's always going to be that great chemistry between the two of them, no matter what happens in season two, you'll enjoy it. Exactly. Exactly. So stay tuned. Um, our next question comes from Tiffany. Tiffany says, I'm one of the people that visits your site. My friend who also goes there told me that you have a radio show. I was just wondering what station is that so I could tune into it and listen to one of your fans, Tiffany. P.S. Love season one of Wormwood. Keep it up. Can't wait until season two. Thanks, Tiffany. Um, okay, so the radio show. Let's clarify that a little bit. We don't. We are not actually on the radio, um, or well, actually, we are on the radio, kind of. Um, we we uh, were sent an email by a, um, a radio station, a, a guy who runs a radio show at a small indie radio station in Australia. And uh, he asked us if he could play our show on his show. So I think, Jeremy, do you have that information? Yeah, I do. Um, yeah, we were contacted by John Underwood, 
and he's a late night radio show host um, at 4ZZZ FM 102.1 community, community radio in Brisbane, Queensland, Australia. And it, it's an alternative nonprofit radio station. And if I recall, he wanted to um, he wanted to play the show um, like I think at midnight. I believe that was it, yeah. yeah. So there you go, Tiffany. We are on the radio in Brisbane, so if you're ever there, tune in. <laughs> um, okay, the next question, actually the next comment, um, Nancy, Nancy Speed writes in and says, can't think of any questions right off the bat, but do look forward to hearing season two from iTunes. The website is really great. I'm certain a lot of people, I'm not certain a lot of people know it is so extensive. Uh, she also adds that Sparrow sure is mean to the doc, but he's no prince in the courtesy department. <laughs> I think that goes without saying. Um, I, although Nancy doesn't have a question here, I do want to mention, and I mentioned it a minute ago, wormwoodshow.com. Um, if you just listen to this through the iTunes feed um, or some other podcatcher, uh, you may want to come check us out at the website. Uh, as, as mentioned in a previous answer, there is additional fiction on the site there are a few stories set in wormwood around wormwood uh and a few stories set in the past of xander and sparrow um and there's also a guide to the characters and each little intro each little entry for the characters is almost its own little piece of fiction they i think they do inform the characters in different ways um we also have a store with merchandise wormwood merchandise um so you can check that out purchase something and help us uh with our show um, there's also a link now to forums, which I've mentioned on the previous post-mortem uh, en- entries. And uh, that's a great place where people are starting to come and talk about the show. So there's a lot of really cool things on the site, and uh, I hope you guys come and check it out. There's also a lot of um, uh, bios from the actors and the, and the crew as well. So you definitely want to check that out. Okay, uh, next up we have three questions from Eve B. Cooler. In Berlin, Germany. I hope I'm saying that name right. I am very sorry if I slaughtered your name. <laughs> but, you know, we should slaughter things because we're from a show called Wormwood. Okay, the first question is, how long does it take to do an episode from first written word to the final cut? Now, this is an interesting one because we've never a- actually broken this down in this way. So, Jeremy, how long does it, do you think it takes you to write script an episode? <laughs> I'm the wrong one to ask for that one. I'd probably take longer than anybody. Um... I don't know, maybe a, a week to write the first draft of the script, and then it, it's going to kind of get polished uh, over the next week or so as we, you know, pull everything else in. So let's say let's say two weeks for a script to, to hit first draft to final draft. That's a, that sounds about right for the scripting stage. I mean, I think I write faster than than some than than oh, uh, than you. I do. know you do, but yeah. I also I also wait a long time to write. Like I will sort of mentally write. I will work it all out. I won't, I, and this is just my habit. My, we all have different working habits. Um, Jeremy's an obsessive rewriter. I'm kind of a don't write, don't write, don't write, and then wait until you have it all figured out in your head, and then you just, you know, just push it all out onto the page. Um, so, you know, but two weeks sounds about right, because usually um, the eight episode chunks that we write uh, are done over the course of six weeks, and that may include as many as two and a half episodes for either Jeremy or I, and one to two episodes for some of the other writers. So, um, you know, I, I'd say that sounds about right. Uh, production, uh, we actually spend, we, we record eight episodes in an eight-hour day usually, um, and so I would say about an hour for recording. 
And then the edit can range, honestly. Um, it really depends on the number of special effects. It depends on how we recorded the show, if it's broken up into segments, if we have to reassemble things, uh, the audio quality makes a difference. I would say anywhere from four hours to 12 hours of editing. <laughs> I don't think we're really in the 12-hour range anymore, but there were a couple in season one where we were still figuring out our way, and I probably spent you know four days, three hours a day working on it, and that would add up to 12 hours. I know every night one was due up until 2.30 in the morning, getting that final render done. But um, I, I think I think we got it down to. It seemed like both of us were getting down to six hours, maybe maybe seven hours for a difficult one. By the time we got to the end of the season, yeah, yeah. And there were some we breezed through in just a couple hours as well. Eve's second question is: Do you have the whole season in mind when you start writing, or just the end, or are you paving your way while walking it? Okay, this is a really good question. We've kind of touched on this a little bit before in various uh, interviews and things. Um, the truth is we have a blueprint mapped out for three seasons of Wormwood. And we knew the blueprint for season one. We knew approximately where it would end when we started. However, we leave a lot of room for creativity as we're going along. Uh, we, 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 we're, sort of the, we're, we're the type of writers who really want to... We would really feel boxed in if we had every beat planned out before we started. You know, we like to be able to let the writing take us in different places. So there were plenty of places where we diverged from the path as we went along, yet we still knew we would end where we ended at the end of season one. And we know where we're going to end at the end of season two, and we know where we're going to end at the end of season three. However, there's lots of wiggle room in there. Um, and the third question from Eves is, uh, I know it's a bit early, but do you plan a third season? Well, we just answered that. <laughs> and can someone enjoy the second one without knowing the first? Now, that's a really good question. Um, honestly, I think it's tough to enjoy the second season without listening to the first. But we tried to do our best in the early stages of season two to kind of catch you up on the status quo. So I think that you can start season two without season one. But and don't. As, as season two goes along, I think there's a lot more self-contained episodes that you can enjoy without knowing anything else. Uh, for instance, we're going to introduce uh, a pair of ghost hunters who come to Wormwood. That's fairly self-contained. There's not much that needs to be explained uh, in that episode. And so we have a few like that. Um, but there's a lot of nuances, a lot of little bits and pieces that carry over from season one, and it really is a master uh, story that goes from season one through season three. So, you know, like Jeremy said, don't. Yeah, if you're listening to season two and and you're intrigued by some of the episodes, just stop there, go back, start with season one. They'll all be available online. And yeah, you know. mm-hmm. I will say we are doing our best to make episodes of season two as accessible as we can. But we are working from a larger mythology, and you know you kind of can't avoid referencing things that we've set in motion already. Okay, our next set of questions comes from Nobilis. Um, Okay, this one kind of overlaps. How many seasons will there be? Well, three. I ask because I hate serials that go on forever and peter out from lack of something before coming to a conclusion. It's cool. Okay, well, well, I'm sorry, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. No, you first. 
I was just going to say, well, you know, we in, initially intended for three seasons because we have a story that is mapped out that far. We leave ourselves room for openings to explore this world in different ways, but we share a similar feeling in that we want to have a strong narrative all the way through, and that is why we have three seasons mapped out. Do you want to add to that? No, that was good. That was pretty okay. much what I was going to say. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, it, it's it's I definitely like the you know the the whole British aspect of doing a show you know you you actually you know keep it pretty you know keep it pretty structured keep it pretty tight with what you're going to do and i definitely agree with getting out before it starts to just become watered down and and stretched out and already Mm -hmm. what what we have planned for the three seasons that's not going to happen and And when you say british shows you mean uh, the tendency of some bbc shows to be mapped out at a certain length and then stop there and not be milked until they're not good anymore which is what a lot of american tv shows do exactly and you know it might be hard sometimes to 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 make the break you know but Mm -hmm. i'd rather go out on on a high note on on a very strong note for the the entire scope of the show than to just keep kind of stretching along just because it's fun Mm -hmm. to do yeah, you look at a show like Lost, and that was one that, that revolves around a central mystery, similar to our show. And that's one where the writers fought with the um, um, studios to end it on their terms and, and to know when they were going to be able to end it so that they could not dance around the mystery, not knowing you know how much time they needed to answer it, um, and then throw something together when they suddenly realized they were canceled. So, um, yeah, we're, we, because we don't answer to anybody in Suits, um, we kind of get to do our own thing, and we're really uh, concerned with just telling the best stories we can. And, uh, yeah, we're not interested in just letting things peter out. So uh, needless to say, we have uh, strong stories mapped out for three seasons. Uh, the second question from Nobilis is, do you produce Wormwood in one location or distributed with your actors recording parts individually and sending them in? Okay, this is another interesting question, very good question. Um, ideally, we bring everyone together. Uh, we, as we talked about in various interviews and in the roundtable discussions, we've had three – for season one, it actually uh, uh, was comprised of three recording sessions where we recorded eight episodes at a time. However, by the end of season three, there were scheduling conflicts that came up, and occasionally we would have to have people record things separately. So the uh, short answer is yes, we produce it in one location. The long, slightly longer answer is but when people can't make it, we sometimes have to make different arrangements. And Nobilis's third question is, if you're distributed, do you need any voice talent for season two? Um, the answer is we're always looking for voice talent. Um, we did for season two, but we're primar- primarily looking for people in the uh, L.A. area because we like it when we can have that organic uh, play between the actors, and they seem to like that too. So I really am trying not to farm things out as much as possible. Uh, you know, we do it when we have to, but for the most part, we have everybody here in LA. And uh, Nobilis's fourth question is Twin Peaks much? That is, was Twin Peaks a strong influence on the writing of this series? Now, see, that's um, pretty funny, I think, because <laughs> I know you were a huge or are a huge fan of the show. Yes. And I don't know if anybody else on the writing staff um, for season one had watched it. <laughs> that is absolutely correct. I am a huge fan of Twin Peaks, and I also grew up in a small town, and I think I combined those two things, and I wanted to do a strange small town, but I'm also a big fan of things like Hellboy, and I wanted to do uh, uh, like a, an occult detective that comes to this strange small town. The other ri- None of the other writers had seen Twin Peaks. They ha- we have a lot of similar 
and overlapping influences between peaks was not one of them. I think since the series has started, uh, Jeremy has watched some of Twin Peaks, right? I, I watched the first season, and I, I think it's hysterical that even though you might have been the only one that's watched the show, all of us threw in very similar ideas here and there, which, you know, when you stop and think about it, are, are basically inherent with the, the small town mystery. It's just going to naturally happen, but... Man, some of those things are just dead on. <laughs> <laughs> like, you had no idea about the coffee in Twin Peaks when you wrote the line about Wayne saying that the coffee pot was collapsing filters. But about halfway through the um, uh, first season of Twin Peaks, um, yeah, I, I was questioned whether I had um, seen it and just lied about it. But no, I, I've <laughs> never seen it. It's a great show. But um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I definitely uh, will say that there there were definitely um, uh, themes, uh, tropes that I called upon from Twin Peaks. But like I said, I'm only one of the the uh, you know many writers on the show, and even though I'm one of the showrunners, um, my influence can only go so far. <laughs> and, and my God, this completely baffled me. But the whole Jimmy Details fascination with Scandinavia. I had no idea that there was going to be a group of Norwegians in Twin Peaks. I mean, I, I'm, you know, small town quirk is small town quirk, and it's going to, it's going to happen. But I mean, what's, what's the chance of that? And that was your uh, introduction as well, Scandinavian, the yeah, Scandinavian stuff. Exactly. That was you. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, how the hell would that be a coincidence? And you had not seen it. Have, okay, uh, Nobilis' last question is, I found that knowing a little about the occult enhanced my enjoyment of the series. For example, I got the Hand of Glory reference early on when some might not have. Was that intentional? Um, again, short answer is yes. Um, as you as you heard in our previous questions about um, how we came up upon the reference of this, uh, that was something, and it was important to me to do as much research as possible and get things as accurate while giving them a twist. You know, a hand of glory is something uh, is is an actual occult um, object. Uh, and there's a history behind that. And if you know it, you'll enjoy it a little bit more. But attaching it to a person is something altogether different. And so there is a story behind that. Um, there is a mystery surrounding that, and that is something we will get to. But the initial root of what it is was something rooted in reality and something rooted in research and reference. So that's what that's my answer for that. Um, Fabian Badia comes in with a... A lot of questions, Fabian. <laughs> he wrote us eight questions, so uh, let's tackle these pretty quickly, um, as quickly as we can. Number one, have you considered doing a graphic novel to go with the audio? I can imagine it in my head when I listen to the show. Let me know if you're looking for an artist I'm interested now, as you know, Fabian, because we announced the Wormwood Art Contest, that we are definitely looking for graphic representations of our characters. And uh, we have talked at length about a comic book, a graphic novel, uh, that is a first love of mine. And Jeremiah Allen, one of our writers, has been pushing us forever to um, you know, do a comic book of Wormwood. The short answer is we'd love to do it. It's a matter of finding the right time, the right talent, and, uh, you know... The, the emphasis to do it right rather than just throwing something out there. Um, n- question number two, will you reveal how Dr. Xander Crow got the, ha- got the Hand of Glory in season two or in fiction on the website or even now? Um, well, no, not now. <laughs> yes, we will. And I can't say for sure if it will come in season two, but you will learn more throughout the season. It may be season three before the final nails are put into place. I, I, I cannot neither confirm nor deny. 
<laughs> um, his third question is, I noticed that Phineas is in the car in a piece of fiction entitled Deidre Comes to Wormwood. What does it mean? Wasn't Phineas bound to remain in the house as well as Dr. Crow? Are there exceptions, or is there something that I misunderstood? See, that's interesting, okay. too, because he also leaves the house in episode 11, the, um, the uh, funeral episode. And, that is correct. Um, we made a point in the uh, finale, uh, in episode 24, where uh, when Xander shows up to the house, that, um, that he, in the end, he's trapped. There's a containment spell around around the house, and Xander can't break it. Doesn't mean that that was there for Phineas. It could be that Phineas put the containment spell there, which I think was implied anyway. So yes. Phineas Phineas was able to come and go. He wasn't he wasn't the the, the trapped hostage that Xander is. Exactly. Um, yeah, the different circumstances for each of the gentlemen, and uh, you know, I think that's implied, but it may have not been uh, explicit in our in our uh, discuss, you know, in the uh, revelations in the season finale. But that's probably something that we'll touch on a bit more in season two. Um, okay, his fourth question is: Will Wormwood be adapted to different media in the future? Um, uh, the short answer, again, it would be yes. Uh, as I said, we'd love to do a comic or a graphic novel. Uh, we also really always looked at this as being a TV show without the picture. So if we wanted to translate it to something, I could see it easily as an animated series or a television series. Um, it really is a serial format, so comic, TV show, best suited for that kind of thing. We, we do have the um, – uh, we do see a way that we could do this as a feature film. Um, so Jeremy and I, we, we're just storytellers, and we love various different uh, uh, media for different reasons, and we definitely could see this translating into something else. So really, it's just about the demand. If you guys want to see it in another format, let your voices be heard. <laughs> Anything you want to add to that, Jeremy? No, I would love to take it into, into a different format and really expand upon different, different things and, and, and blow some stuff up. Um, it's really just a matter of time finding the... Um, finding the, t- the time to, to start working towards that, finding the, the resources to pull all that kind of stuff together. But, yeah, definitely I think that's a, a huge goal of everybody involved is to <clears throat> take this one step one step more. But, on the other hand, I, I, I do appreciate the audio structure that we have going to. So oh, yeah. I, I, I don't want to rush through any of that to get to something bigger. You know? Yeah, yeah. We love doing the audio show, uh, but we're – we're storytellers, and so we'd love to do these stories of this of this world in in various formats. You know, there, there's definitely no stopping us. But it's not a slight against the audio format, which we love, and we're having a great deal of fun with the theater of the mind. If only it had a picture to go with it, it would be perfect. <laughs> uh, will Sparrow come back in season two? Will she come to Wormwood? Well, you know, Fabian, we can't tell you that. You're just going to have to listen. Uh, question number seven. Can you shed some light on Lamora and her strange skin condition? What about her mother? Uh, episode five is uh, at least part of your answer there. Anything you want to add to that, Jeremy? That's There's, one of your stories. You know what? There's really not much more I can add to that. Okay. Um, yeah, her, her her condition does get um, does get elaborated upon, so I just can't say anything else about it. But yeah, episode five, season two, a lot of that should be uh, addressed. And, and at, question. I'm sorry. Go ahead. As for um, um, Lamora's mother, there's th- there's more ideas to play with, but something that's going to come a little while later. 
episode or I'm sorry, episode eight. Question number eight. Will you tell us more about the demon and the strange cult associated with it? Again, you're gonna have to stay tuned for that. There's gonna be more about that in seasons two and season three. Okay, next one comes from Michelle Thatch or Thack. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. Michelle wrote in and said, I would love to find out more about the stories prior to Wormwood. Do you think you'll cover that in later seasons? Um, we cover tales prior to Wormwood in season two a little bit so far. Uh, we still have a lot to do in season two, but I will say that episode seven deals with uh, a tale from the past. Um, and there may be other stuff. And also keep your eyes posted to the website. We are always uh, working on new fiction for the site, so we may tell stories in that format as well. Um, so just keep, you know, check out the website and uh, keep listening. Joseph wrote in to say, is there any chance that sometime in the future you guys could collaborate with an artist? Ha ha. Uh, <laughs> we kind of just touched on this. That would be willing to do renderings of the characters and the Wormwood scenery, kind of like what Stephen King did with the Dark Tower series. Just found your podcast show, by the way. It's incredible. Nice work. Okay, so we kind of just touched on this. This, again, was an impetus for the uh, Wormwood art contest. We do want to see the way people would uh, represent these characters. Um, and But more to the point in this one is, I think Joseph's kind of talking about that sort of pulse um, spot illustration and I would love to do chapter based artwork to go with the show this is just something I'm throwing out there um, I, I mentioned it briefly to Jeremy but we haven't really discussed it so if we could find an artist who really wanted to put in some illustrations uh, uh, to to the uh, uh, radio play each week um, that's definitely something I'd love to see done now, Michaela wrote in to us with a question, a little bit different than the others. I hope you're still willing to accept questions as I finally finish Season 1. I have perhaps an odd question, but it's about the technical side of things. What are you doing to even out your sound levels in the episode? She goes on to say that she's found that some of the, the levels are inconsistent and there's screeching and squelching sound effects that are too loud uh, and that she has to pull off her headset. Um, and she wants to know what's up with that. So, first of all, I want to thank Michaela for, for asking that question. We have heard that from time to time. Uh, the, Jeremy and I are not sound engineers. We're learning as we go. Uh, we're getting better as the season goes along. Um, but there are definitely issues here and there where we're still, you know, uh, um, we're still figuring out the best way to do things. You know, it, it depends on if you're listening to it on headphones, if you're listening to it on speakers, etc. All different, all various differences. Uh, we are working towards that. I, I also want to point out that Michaela, I, I then emailed Michaela back and I asked her to pinpoint a few uh, problem episodes that she, episodes that she felt had uh, some of these qualities that she was talking about. She wrote back, and that is very helpful. And so Jeremy and I are going to send Michaela a Wormwood shirt. So, Michaela, we're going to email you and uh, get your information, but for helping us out with our podcast quality, we are going to send you an official Wormwood t-shirt. So, thank you for that. Okay, our next questioner, I believe, has is concocting some sort of theory. Clara asks, I love your show. I was just wondering, is Dr. Crow's hand his left or right hand, and how old is he? I'm not sure how these factors tie into uh, Clara's theory, but I believe that she's working on something, uh, you know, uh, some, some theory that ties everything together. <laughs> um, Jeremy, have we ever talked about whether it's Crow's right or left hand? Um, I don't know if we spent a lot of time talking about it, but I've always written with his right hand in mind. I, I can't see it being his left hand. It just doesn't seem right. To me, you know, uh, it's a kind of a bad joke, but yeah, he's a, he's he's a right-handed 
guy. And why did did you have something something different in mind? I um, I always thought it was his left hand. I'm telling you, we, we should have gone for the gone for the foot. Damn really, it, this really this throws everything off. I gotta go rewrite all my episodes. We're gonna have to re-record season one. Everything that I did had to do with Crow having his left hand be the hand of glory. I always thought your scenes felt off, you know, slightly and, imbalanced. I mean, slightly imbalanced. I mean, it's like trying to trying to write your name with the wrong hand. It just they, they, they felt wrong to me. Up, yeah, I was thinking the same thing about your episodes. I could never quite put a finger on it, but now yeah. I know. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, um, and then how old is Dr. Crow? Um, you know, I I don't know if we want to get into it in too much detail. We didn't give him a specific age. Uh, I think I mentioned in the series Bible that he's probably somewhere between his late 30s and his mid-40s, but he, he never quite... <clears throat> yeah, he's old enough he, to be experienced and a little cynical, but um, wise and... And old enough to be cranky. He's like 20, <laughs> 28. Or <laughs> no, I right. I pictured you know sort of your yeah, like you said, thirties to forties. Um, yeah, yeah, I think that's about right. Nothing special there, although I suspect Clara has something in mind. Either that, or she's working on an illustration of Doctor Crow, which I'd love to see. Uh, Rob C. writes us and says, I just stumbled across this site and I am hooked. I am downloading all of season one and chomping at the bit for season two to start. Wormwood is as good as any classic horror show I've ever listened to. As for questions, would you guys ever consider doing, say, one shots set in Wormwood but not necessarily about Xander? Um, yes, we would consider them. Some of them will figure into season two. Uh, and some other one shots may come out in the form of site fiction or some other medium. So there are definitely some stories that we've talked about that would be set in Wormwood without having anything to do with Xander. There is site fiction now, available now, that doesn't deal with Xander. That's true. That's true. And so yeah, check that out. And yeah, definitely season two will um, we'll touch upon some of that stuff now and again. Yeah, absolutely. We have a few more self-contained episodes in uh, in season two. Now, some of them are present day. I don't know that we have anything yet that will go into flashbacks, but we definitely do have a lot of stuff that doesn't have to do directly with the... Uh, the main mystery, uh, you know, so so people do get a little chance to shine and do stories in Wormwood. Okay, um, let's see. The next one comes from John Singleton. John says, first off, I want to say that I enjoyed season one of Wormwood immensely. It quickly became my favorite podcast out of all the ones I have or am listening to, and I can't wait for season two. You know, really, the reason that I'm reading all these, Jeremy, is because I just want to feel better about our show. I don't even really want to get to the question. I just want to leave it at that. I'm very glad I, I sent these to you then. Yeah, I know. <laughs> really worked out. Okay, so, seriously though, John was wondering if season two would begin where the first season ended, or if you will start at a different point in time, namely some kind of prequel detailing the last ritual. My guess is not a prequel as it seems to make more sense to continue on to me. I am curious if Sparrow will join the cast of characters again. I am curious as to what happened to her since the last time we heard from her. There seems to have been a bit of danger lurking for her, no? Thanks again for your work and time in producing a high-quality podcast. Thank you for your question, John. Uh, the answer is in the title of the first episode of season one, which is entitled One Month Later. So that gives you a little bit. I will also say that we do reference the past in episode one. Uh, we do reference a few things with the mob. Um, and throughout the season, you may get some more flashbacks into that. I can't say for certain that the entire previous ritual is going to be covered in season two, but it is definitely delved into a bit more. 
And yes, there was danger lurking for Sparrow at the end of uh, um, season one, and not going to touch it though. Okay, Gail writes in and and uh, says that listening to season one, she wondered if there was a backstory somewhere that she missed. If so, where is it? She'd like to look or listen. Um, she does enjoy the show. Thanks all for the work that's gone into the show. We're amazing. See, we're amazing. Gotta love that. We are amazing. Um, okay, Gail. There is nothing besides season one that you need to listen to season one. We do tap into a larger story, and it is a mystery. So there is stuff that we refer to that you're not necessarily supposed to know about yet. Now, you can get little nuances if you read our site fiction um, or read the character guide on the site, but it's really not necessary. That's meant to add to the show, but the show is meant to stand on its own. So... Kind of like Lost, you you know the TV show Lost. You're gonna have to kind of wait to see how all the things play out. I I don't like, you know, no no series begin with characters who are fresh with no past or anything like that. All characters have a history to them, and so what we did is we launched Crow at the tail end of one story, uh, getting out of one caper and launching into the next, uh, and that does affect the present, and we will see that come to play, but. It was not our intention to force you to listen to something first to get to Season 1, Episode 1. And finally, we have a question from John Baker, who says, Hello, people of Wormwood. I listen to your podcast, and I love it. It's so nice to hear audio dramas where you can tell people spend a lot of time writing and editing. The reason for this email is I work in a small group to produce a show called Dick Dynamo, and I wanted to get some advice on how you guys got so much exposure so quickly. Please check out our stuff in the links below. Please let me know if you can think of anything we can do to get our name out there more. Well, John, the best way to get your name out there is to call a show that's already in production and is asking for listener mail and give them a link to your site, which is dickdynamo.com, D-I-C-K-D-Y-N-A-M-O.com. So there you go. How's that for a plug, John? Um, So check out John's stuff, and, um, you know, that's the best way to do it. There's no secret uh, recipe that we found. We basically put in a lot of elbow grease, uh, Jeremy and I and the other writers, the actors. We tried to just spread the word as much as possible. Um, you know, we put it in iTunes. We spread it to as many friends as we could. We joined forums, and we talked about it there. And then people started finding us. And, um, you know, we really just tried to continue to interact with people and make them know that, you know, we're here and we're available. And uh, we really like to hear from you guys, which is why we have a show like our Listener Mail Show. So, I mean, what I'd recommend is uh, just getting your stuff out there, um, finding people who are interested in your stuff, and, um, you know, continuing to talk to them and spread the word um, and uh, see where it gets you. So that's what I have to say. I think that wraps up our mail. Um, Jeremy, do you have anything else you want to add as we wrap up our listener mail segment? Well, yeah, I just want to add that um, at any time, you know, we're open for emailed questions. We're open for voicemail questions, um, anything in any episode that comes along for season two, or even if it's an older question for season one, definitely drop us an email or send us a voicemail, and we're, we're always listening and we're always ready to to, to give feedback and, and tease some things out if we have to or clarify something if, if that needs to be done. But uh, yeah, definitely stay in touch, and um, we're checking all this stuff out. Absolutely. We have forums on our site now. If you go to wormwoodshow.com and look in the right-hand sidebar, you'll see a link to forums. Our voicemail number, as Jeremy mentioned, is 206-426-5336. So leave us a message and let us know how we're doing. 
Um, and yeah, let, we are here. You can contact us. Uh, we've got those contests in play. Let me just uh, remind you of those. We have the worm food contest. Send us your name and the manner in which you would like to die in Wormwood, and we will do our best to make that happen. We will pick our favorite death, and we will include it in the show in some way, shape, or form. Uh, we also uh, have the Wormwood Art Contest, where you send us your submissions. It could be photography, it could be uh, illustration, it could be painting, and we will take our favorite and we will include it in the album art for season two. Um, yes, we are here. Let us know how we're doing. We love to interact with with everybody, and we love to to hear what you guys think about the show. It really does help us uh, uh, to better ourselves as we move forward. So. Thank you, everyone who sent in questions. You guys are phenomenal. I re- we really appreciate it. Um, it really it helps us, uh, as I mentioned, to, you know, to see where, where we've come from and where we're going. And uh, now, gee, I don't know. What comes next? Um, next week, how about Wormwood Season 2 Crossroads with the first episode one month later? Find out what happened to everyone and where they are now in Wormwood one month later. So thank you all for joining us, for listening in tonight, and um, we hope to see. We hope that you guys will come back and check us out again next week. And welcome to town. This is David Acampo and Jeremy Rogers signing out. Original music compositions by Todd Hodges. Wormwood is a serialized podcast and cannot be distributed in part or whole outside of the podcast format without written consent from the creators. For more information on the cast and writers and individual episode credits, visit www.wormwoodshow.com. Thank you for listening, and welcome to town. Wormwood.